Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Yes, you're looking at that correctly. It does say 11 through 13. You say that's not possible. Yes, it is. A lot of this is going to be repetitive of um, of a message that Paul has already given in chapter 10. So as we look at chapter 11, um, we look at the first 18 verses here. He's simply um, recounting what happened to him when the Lord had to get his attention to go witness to a Gentile whose name was Cornelius. And so in chapter 11 it begins now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into an uncircumcised man's house and ate with him they couldn't believe it that was clearly not kosher big time but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning saying and now we're going to have a recount of what we studied last week he has to go through this to give them a reason why he did what he did so let's just read it up to verse 18 here I was in the city of Joppa praying and I was in a trance that I saw a vision and an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners and it came to me and when I observed it intently and considered I saw four-footed animals of the earth wild beasts creeping things birds of the air and I heard a voice saying to me rise Peter kill and eat but I said not so Lord for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, all of a sudden, three men stood before my house where I was, um, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go uh, with them, doubting nothing, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, and said to him, Send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved? And I began to speak, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them as soon as same as us as in the beginning. Well, the Spirit fell on them. Um, Again, as he's witnessing to them, uh, verse 44, if we'll look back at chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, well, the last words they uh, were listening to was that... um, Uh, Verse 43, those who believe in him will receive forgiveness of sins. And when they heard that, that's when the um, Holy Spirit came down. And I think I likened it to the the thief on the cross. It wasn't a sinner's prayer. Nobody raised their hand. um, But they heard that their sins could be forgiven. 
And remember, Cornelius was a gracious man, a wise man, very generous man. And um, everybody in the room gets saved, and then Peter says, they're already filled with the Holy Spirit, why can't they be baptized? So again, it's another situation where sometimes you're baptized first, like in Acts 8, and then they called for Peter and John to come up to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here's just the reverse. Here they're filled with the Holy Spirit first, and then um, Peter says, why can't these uh, guys be baptized in water also? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then he asked to stay a few days. All right, we go back to verse um, 13. And he told us what he had, how he had seen and sent men to Joppa. And he called for Simon, whose name is Peter. And he will tell you words which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life? Unbelievable. They could not wrap their heads around it that a Gentile could be saved. And so basically the first 18 verses, what we have here is... Um, a recount of uh, why he's taken the um, message to the Gentiles. It was because of this vision from heaven. Now, in verses 19 through 30, we're going to be introduced to um, the Grecians, sometimes called the Hellenists, and uh, let's pick it up in verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. So your Bible, if you have a a King James, it's going to say um, Grecians. And if you have a new King James like I, it says Hellenists. And so let's read it again. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And the news of these things came to the ears to the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas. Well, here's Barnabas again. Uh, If you remember, he's the first one to, when the 3,000 were saved, he sold his property and land and uh, gave it to the elders in the church so that the people could be taken care of. 
Same Barnabas. Um, to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged him. Um, Barnabas means encouragement. And encouraged them in all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Keep going, hang in there. Be strong in the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. I wasn't going to put this up quite yet. I'm going to put up on the screen uh, so that you can see where Tarsus is. It's actually a diagram of Paul's first missionary journey, but I want to put it up now so you can get some idea of where um, Tarsus is. That's where he's going. Tarsus is, um, oh, can you find it? Can you see it where it is? Okay, everybody can see it. So Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember Paul, um, they got him out of Jerusalem and then when he got to uh, Caesarea, he sailed from there and he went home. And he's been there all this time. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What were they called before? The way. So the first place, um, um, the word they were called Christians was was here. Um, There was this great moving of God that was taking place now in Antioch. And the church in Jerusalem hears about it, so the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to Antioch. Uh, We're going to see now that Antioch becomes the second center of the church. In actuality, in fact, uh, the center actually is going to shift from Jerusalem, and the main church is actually going to be Antioch. So we picked it up, the, let's see, great many people, verse 27. And in these days, prophets came to Jerusalem to Antioch. So we have a prophet in verse 28 whose name is Agabus. He stood up and he showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. Now when you talk about the gifts of the spirit, we would say that this guy had a a word of wisdom that's been given to him. And he said that there was going to be a great famine. Well I did a little research on it today. And um, they actually um, confirmed that during this period of time there was a very severe famine um, at, at, this, at this point. And a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his own ability, determined to send relief to the brother dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So basically, 
Um, the reason we took the collection, we had the um, um, uh, the the uh, the sales for Haiti. This is the same thing that's happening, and um, they're trusting Barnabas and Saul to take uh, money, food. Doesn't really get into specifics here, but. Um, um, that's how chapter 11 ends. Now, when we get to chapter 12, in this chapter, persecution strikes through Herod Agrippa I. James is executed, and Peter is going to be imprisoned, but uh, is miraculously delivered. Herod dies by a judgment of God, Although persecution comes, the church grows and the word of God is multiplied. So in this chapter here, we, it starts out by saying, chapter 12, now about the time Herod, the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the, from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John. Now remember, James and John, from Capernaum, uh, were fishermen. And um, Jesus called them sons of thunder because evidently they had a short wick. When they were preaching in one town, they didn't want to hear the gospel. And these two guys come up and said, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And the Lord just looked at them and rolled his eyes and says, you guys don't know what spirit I'm of. Um, So... You know, John goes from having this short wick of a temper um, and he refers to himself through the Gospel of John as that disciple whom Jesus loved. When you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's all about love and not loving the world. And so here is how the Lord uh, changed him. He should not be confused with another James that we're going to read about a little later when we get to chapter 15. This would be James, the half-brother of Jesus. So Jesus had a brother, half-brother, that was named James. So don't get the two confused. Okay, verse 3. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also, Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. So the days of unleavened bread are before Passover. And after that was over, that's when he was going to deal with with Peter. Verse five, Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Please make a mental note of that. They were praying, Lord, help Peter. Lord, help get Peter out. Lord, please, constant prayer. Prayer meetings all over the place. One prayer request, Lord, help Peter. Get him out of jail. Remember that. And when Herod was about to bring him out, That night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and and the guards before the doors were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, 
and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side. I'd give anything to see this. An angel kicking Peter. (laughs) Peter, wake up. Kicked him on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. Am I dreaming here or what's going on? But thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city which opened of its own accord. So it just opened right up. Angels all over the place. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. So here's Peter just standing. He was in jail just a couple of minutes ago. Gets kicked by an angel, chains fall off. Goes past a couple guard stations and the gates of the city just open up before him and just gonna sort of dumbfounded. What just happened to me? And when Peter had come to himself, when he realized he was awake, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people, which was to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? Because um, they killed James, brother of John, and that pleased um, the Jews. So that was the intent, get rid of him. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Now John Mark is gonna come up in our study tonight, unfortunately not in a good way. Where many were gathered together praying. What were they praying for? Help Peter get out of jail. So what does Peter do? He knocks at the door. A girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. A lot of faith in that prayer meeting. (laughs) He's He's at the door. That was their prayer. Their prayer's been answered. And they said, you're crazy. Uh, Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so she said, then it's his angel. Now, let's just get sidetracked here. And are you aware that you have a guardian angel? You have a guardian angel. Uh, we're, We're told those who are heirs of salvation have been given a guardian angel. And I like to say from time to time, I sure would have liked to know where he's been when I was uh, in certain bad, hard situations. Where's my angel? It also says be careful how you treat somebody you don't know because some of you have entertained angels unaware and uh, you didn't even know it was an angel. So evidently angels obviously can take on human form, look human, and What's being suggested here is he actually looks like you. That's what they're implying. That's not Peter, it's just his angel. So Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. 
A lot of faith in that prayer meeting. But motioning to them with his hands to keep silent, keep it down, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers who had, uh, and what happened to Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And that was the penalty. If you were a guard or a prisoner and your prisoner escaped, then you were the one that was killed. This is one of the reasons um, uh, that the guards that were guarding the tomb were so concerned and they went back and made up a lie saying that his disciples came, moved the stone, and it goes on to say that that story is what they believe to this day because they knew the consequences. They would would have been put to death just like these guys did here. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there. Again, uh, if you ever saw Caesarea, you would want to stay there too. It is just that beautiful. Now, change of thought, because now we're um, in verses 20 through 25, and we have Herod, who had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They had business dealings going on between the, between the two of them. And, uh, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So here we have Tyre and Sidon, they're dependent on their survival and eating uh, to Herod because he's the one who's supplying the food to them. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. So he comes in with, um, um, you can only speculate, but the different, people that have written on this say that he had some sort of gold or silver garment that had reflection that when the sun hit it, it was just over the top. And um, he came in with his royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave his orientation. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Well, they're just sucking up to him, buttering him up, if you would because they need them. That's the food supply. So they come up with this, um, he's a God, he's not a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to the Lord and he was eaten by worms and died. How's that for graphics? So he comes in and uh, this is a man full of himself, full of pride, takes all the glory. You're a God. You're not a man. And he's just taking it in. And as a result, the Lord 
took him out. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So now, as we start the missionary journey, John Mark is going to actually go out with them. But um, I need to stop and explain something here because when we get to chapter 26, um, we're going to see King Herod um, Agrippa and making his defense, Paul's making his defense before it. And I'm thinking, what's the deal here? He's dead. And so we did a little research on it and found out that there are two King Agrippas. Matter of fact, there's five kings. Herod is more or less a title. So you have King Agrippa, uh, Herod Antipas, and a, a couple more. There are two King Agrippas in the Bible, both part of the Herod family. King Herod Agrippa I was a grandson of Herod the Great. He ruled over Judea and Samaria. Agrippa I is King Herod who killed James. So that's what we're reading about here. This would be um, Agrippa I and also imprisoned Peter. The son of Agrippa I was King Herod Agrippa II, also known as Julius Marcus Agrippa, he was the brother of Bernice and heard Paul's defense of the gospel in Acts 26. Agrippa II had quite a lot of power in Jewish religious affairs for he had been given um, custody of the temple and authority and the power to appoint. Now, when Paul is witnessing to him, he keeps speaking to this one in Acts 26. He says, you believe the prophets? I know you believe the prophets, King Agrippa. And he goes on and is very, very persuasive as he's witnessing to this Agrippa. And I'm thinking, how can he do that? He's dead, he died back here. (laughs) So it's all explained when we did a little research on it that remember this was the King Agrippa, he says, almost Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That, we'll get to that when we get to, I think we touched on it as a cross-reference in one of, one of our studies. So that takes care of chapter 12. Um, John Mark goes back to Antioch with Barnabas and Saul. Remember that they had been down in Jerusalem with the gifts to the church there. We have now come to the end of the second part of the book of Acts. The gospel has gone into Judea and Samaria. Beginning with the next chapter, we see the movement of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. While we are still in that movement today, I hope that you and I are involved with with it also. Unfortunately, as we, um, um, we see everything deteriorating, I think I mentioned it on Sunday, that the only thing that'll save America is a revival. Now that's a lot of positive hope and positive thought. Problem is that the Bible teaches just the opposite. And, um, and it doesn't 
tell us what's really going on. I quoted the Gallup poll that says, for the first time since keeping records, that less than 50% of people go to church. And it's even getting worse amongst our young people. Jesus says, when I come again, will I find faith on the earth? He also, also, um, I think we're the church of Laodicea. Second Thessalonians chapter two tells us that there's going to be this apostasia or falling away. And so what do we see happening in America today? We see exactly that happening. I don't see revival happening. I see there's a, there's a scripture that he's talking to the churches in Revelation that says, he who endures to the end will be saved. So it sounds like it's tough going. And uh, especially not to compromise. Now if you compromise, I'll use Joel Osteen, I like picking on him a lot. You know, he compromises all over the place and tells you what you want to hear and he wants to make sure you leave that church service happy and clappy. That's what I like to call it. But if we would teach what we're teaching here, well, let's see, we had James that was um, killed. We had Stephen, this is the beginning of the church. And then they want to kill Peter, but the Lord intervenes on that one because of the great faith of their prayer ministry. (laughs) And... So as we begin chapter um, 13, uh, we're 13 and 14 really should go together, but I knew I couldn't do 14 and that too because, uh, um, but a lot of this is also re- uh, going to be a little repetitive too. So let's turn to, um, and we're gonna leave that up on the screen. Um, the beginning 13 and 14, we call Paul's first missionary journey. Verse 13, chapter one, verse one. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophet and, a, and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. Then having fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And As they go, we find now when they had gone through the island, if you look on the map here, you see uh, Paphos, P-A-P-O-S, and they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulius, an intelligent man, and this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, so this is the same guy, but with, um, uh, that was evidently how you translated his real name, for so his name is translated, uh, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So now we have... um, a guy who is a sorcerer, he's demon-possessed, 
and he is debating the gospel that's being preached by Barnabas and uh, Paul. And we read verse nine, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of the righteous, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you're gonna be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now I want to point out here that a lot of people are watching this. There's, there's a debate going on between the town sorcerer and Barnabas and Paul, and everybody's listening to it. And this guy's in Paul and Barnabas' face and withstanding him. So Paul just says, look buddy, you're not gonna be seeing for a while. And it happened immediately, and as a result of that happening, then the pro-council believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga, so just follow the map now, you'll see that it's... um, where the Mediterranean Sea is, and now they make their way up to Perga and Pamphylia. And here we read, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. I just want to talk a little bit about the reality of ministry. Because he takes off here because it's tough missionary work, persecution, getting in fights with demon-possessed people. And um, John Mark really didn't know what he was into. He, he saw the church at Antioch and the joy and the miracles, and he says, I want in. And when he actually sees how difficult it really is, he says, I'm going home. And he did not continue on with them. Now, I've told this story before, I better be careful how long I tell my story because I'm going to get to this chapter tonight. Um, I was called by the Lord and uh, it was very, very clear. And it took me nine months to obey, <laughs> to actually go through with it and get involved with the house, house ministers, which was completely um, different than the lifestyle I was used to. Um, no, product of the 60s, freedom is everything. And um, to live communally with rules and regulations, you have to have rules and regulations if you have guys or girls living in the same house. Wouldn't you agree? We had Bible studies, we worked all day, came home for supper, and then we had a Bible study every night. I really didn't learn the Bible by going to Bible school, even though I did. I learned the Bible by having Bible studies every single night at seven o'clock. And the idea was, in those days, those people hitchhiking around the country looking for a place to crash and get a free meal if they could, and the word was out. Hey man, find a shallow house. Uh, They'll feed you, they'll give you a place to sleep, and all you have to do is listen to one of their Bible studies. 
Now I've said this before and it's factual that between 1968 and 1978, 100,000 people came to Christ. 100,000 people. That's been documented. And it, um, but we also did group labor. And um, like Barnabas, we would take um, um, the money that we made collectively working. For example, I worked at the Minneapolis International Airport and uh, as a janitor, vacuuming and cleaning toilets and all that kind of stuff. And we did it as a group. And then we would take the money that we would make there and we would send teams out to the Bible school. And they could go to Bible school for, for free. And then it would eventually come around for my turn and they'd be out working so that I could go to the Bible study, Bible school for free. So it was a good setup. Um, we had everything we need. I don't eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches anymore. <laughs> or, or oatmeal. Because we had that every day. <laughs> so I just don't do that. But I, I quit. I, was, I can remember right where I was, and you guys, most of you know the story. I said enough of these cleaning toilets and vacuuming. But where I quit was underneath a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And um, it said, Billy Graham put it up there. And it says, even the winds and the sea obey him. Okay, that's where I quit, underneath that sign. (laughs) The wind and the sea obey him, but you're quitting, Dwight? Is that what you're saying right now? So basically, I I repented. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, Lord. And I kept going. I told that story 25 years later on the Sea of Galilee. And um, um, the person leading the tour came up to me afterwards and she was really into the Bible study. She thought it was very, very interesting. And she said, uh, her name's Joyce. She said, Dwight, I knew I knew your name from somewhere before, but I couldn't remember where. She says, I was your boss at the Minneapolis International Airport in 1975. And then it took her two years to tell me the rest of the story. She says, when you gave that Bible study, I was backslidden. She didn't tell me that for two years. So here was an event that the Lord was creating that would take 25 years to see the rest of the story. We could have walked on water. I mean, we, we both knew it was beyond any shadow of a doubt. It was a coincidence. We just knew it was the Lord. But I want you to know I quit. I want you to know why. For the same reason that John Mark did. This is tough. And there's people that you know and I know right now that are quitting. They're getting caught back up in the things of the world or they got one foot in the world and one foot out of the world and these days that just can't be. Um, So we can't give happy clappy studies all the time. Sometimes we do. (laughs) But when we're reading 11, 12, and 13 of Acts, we're watching people getting killed. And now they're they're traveling and John Mark says, well, I've, enough, I've had enough of this. I want to go home. So just a word of exhortation. He who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, hang in there. Just hang in there. Make it your routine. 
Um, Jesus said it was his custom to be at the synagogue when, that, when the synagogue would have been on, on, on a Saturday. That was his custom. Well, you should have a list of priorities. Your priorities should be this place, Sunday morning. That should be your priority. Worshiping the Lord and studying his word. Can I get an amen on that? And then, the rest of the week, um, you know, just your routine. I hope you have daily devotions and um, different really good commentaries that are out there, but just some quiet time. Just sit and just um, start the day with the Lord and I guarantee your day will be a whole lot smoother than it would have been otherwise. Another good place for an amen. All right, so let's continue here. John takes off. But when they had departed from Perga, and you can see Perga on the map up there, they came to Antioch and Pisidae and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. What we have here is Paul preaches on the first Sabbath in a city. So they just get into town and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues uh, sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So they're just taking it in. But he opens it up to Paul, and Paul stood up and motioned with his hands, men of Israel, and you who, who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with upright arm he brought them out of it. So he's recounting what he knows they already believe. So he's building up to something. Now for a time, for about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Remember, they're always murmuring and complaining. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Cana, uh, he disrupted their land, or he distributed their land to them by allotment. And then they gave them judges for about 450 years. Um, And they were the ones that would intercede, um, but they weren't happy with the judges. They wanted a king, like the other countries. So in verse 21, and afterwards they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. Now what's filling in the blanks, let me just fill it in a little bit. David wanted to build the Lord a house. He says, it's not right. I live in this beautiful mansion made out of silver and the Ark of the Covenant dwells in a tent. And he says, that's not right. And I want to build the Lord's house. But he wouldn't let him because he was a warrior who had killed thousands and thousands of people. And so he said, no, you can't, but I'll let Solomon, your son, build the house. David, in the meantime, gathered all the material. 
that would be necessary for the building of it. And when he said to them, I'm gonna build, build you a house and it's gonna last forever. Well, what the prophet was speaking to David was he understood that through his line would come the Messiah. And this is what Paul is building up to. He's laying his case. Here's your history. In Egypt, 400 years. In the wilderness, 40 years. Conquered seven nations. They, 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 they know all that. But when he gets to David, he explains to them um, that it would be from his line that the Messiah would come forth. I have found David uh, for this man's seed according to the promise God raised up for Israel, a savior, Jesus. And after John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me whose sandals of feet I am not even worthy to touch. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from a tree, the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that promises which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled for us and their children in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So again, whenever we get to connecting the old and the new, I like to point it out. Psalm two here is a prophecy. Uh, and he quotes it. Uh, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead and more, uh, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this. Then he quotes Isaiah chapter 55. I will give you sure mercies of David. Therefore, you shall say in another, now he quotes another one, now he's going to quote Psalm 16. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, what does he mean? Well, when Jesus died, he actually died. But his body never saw corruption, like what happens when a dead person dies. And he's quoting, again, I like when we can connect the dots between the old and the new. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. He died and the way uh, what happens is your body slowly de decomposes. But he who God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, 
that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what you have been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. And now he quotes, Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that this, these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout uh, proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, and speaking to them, persuading them to continue in the grace of God. All right, here he is in this city, first week there, and now there's a group that want more. So fast forward one week, and we have the rest of the chapter from 44 to 52. This is now Paul's um, second time preaching And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Word had gotten out. And this guy is explaining things and putting things together that we believe are true. We want to know more about Jesus. And everybody shows up. Unfortunately, when they saw that, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Well, not that many people come when they were doing their religious obligation in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And contradicting, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blasphemy, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. So quite a different change in attitude. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we're gonna turn to the Gentiles. And then he quotes another Old Testament verse. Now, you'll somewhere, sometime hear somebody say, the church can't be found in the Old Testament. Not true, it's all over the Old Testament. Pictures and types of it, but here's, one that is quoted from Isaiah 42. For the Lord has commanded us, I have sent you to be a light to the Gentiles, that you should, they should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, because up till that time, salvation was of the Jews, not Gentiles. That was the reason that Peter had to go through this whole thing with the sheet coming up and down, And he says, not so, Lord. I can't go into a Gentile's house. Now when the Gentiles heard it, uh, they were glad. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women. And the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from that region. So they're gonna go from there, and I'll find on your map, Iconium, up on the screen here, 
And um, in verse 51, where they departed from, where they end up, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Do you guys, you guys know I'm always five minutes after, right? It's five minutes too. You of little faith. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. There's no way he's gonna crack out all three. Closing thing that I, that I think about and worry about are the John Marks in the world. One of my best friends. Um, we were the three musketeers. John Mark, Pat Gahan, and myself. We did everything together. I got saved, and I was marginalized by John and Pat. Okay, And then Pat gets saved. Unthinkable that Pat would get saved. John Mark, um, father, is a multimillionaire. He owns a construction company. Well, he's probably dead now. But um, I remember John telling me one time, he says, I will never, ever become like my father. And because um, he owns all these apartments in Oshkosh, major builder, Mark's Construction out of Milwaukee. And what John said he would never do, this is personal to me when I read John Mark because he was, he was one of the three musketeers. And um, he knows what happened to me. He knows what happened to Pat. And he took over his father's business. And that, I went to see him one time and um, um, uh, it was awkward. Let's just put it that way. To be like this and then have us change so radically because both, both Pat and I really uh, did a, a 180 com- completely. But I can't read this and thinking without thinking about my friend John Mark, so I'll be praying for John Mark tonight. And if you could think about it, appreciate you praying for him too. Pray for all the John Marks that maybe have been called into ministry and decided they wanted to go home instead. Pray for them too. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And as we um, look at your first missionary journey, just the difficulties that can come with it, but not only the difficulties, the great joy that um, um, the Gentiles experienced when they heard that the gospel is being brought to them, they received it gladly with great joy. We pray for the John Marks of the world tonight. Pray for my friend, my name, and um, um, maybe others who just decided they don't want to do this anymore. I pray for them with all that's going on, Lord that um, we would receive the exhortation as we see the day approaching, that we would um, not disregard the fellowship of the saints, but do do it all the more as we see the day approaching. So bless these dear saints here tonight and those watching live stream, in Jesus' name, amen.